call from Lelchuk Zoll. Landline. I'm cooking dinner for a girl who used to have a mild crush on Tim. Wow. That's funny. I just oh, got yeah. off the phone with Tim, and the way he was sounding, no one would ever have a crush on him. Well, she doesn't anymore. Is she dating you now? She's coming over for dinner. I told her that I'd make a nice Jewish meal, even that it's Arab Yom Kippur. Well, our episode is going live tomorrow, and I just thought it was the right thing to do to get a couple of um, you know, notes from you as a as a lead into the episode. How did you feel your performance was? And then also I wanted to reflect on how we've had zero contact since I stayed at your house. And in one way, I thought that's because you were annoyed by me. But then in another, I thought maybe we were starting a new chapter of our relationship where we didn't text constantly as a means of creating something artificial as per our conversation. Alex, let me put it to you, plain and blunt as could be. You could call me a hundred times a day and it wouldn't be enough. I'm insatiable for your voice. I love seeing your name come up on my phone. And you should never feel that you're calling me too much because the truth is it's not enough. Whoa, who's calling? Oh, no. Someone who, I, someone who I don't have a crush on is calling me. And that person is Gabe. Interesting. I declined it. Don't worry. Somehow my phone call came through my computer, but I guess that's a story everybody knows now. Yeah, that's, that's pretty commonplace these days. All right, so I thought that we really hit our stride, not only on the friendship bit, but on this idea that we're going to be a generation of parents who have to somehow combat the world of cell phones in a way that no other generation ever has, in the sense that we were there when the shift went from, from landline to cell phone. I thought that was interesting content. I agree with that, and if I sound distracted, it's only because I'm stuffing a chicken cavity with fresh herbs and onions. Yeah, and what else are you making? I'm doing a nice risotto and a salad and maybe some um, steamed mustard greens or broccolini. I know that I'm going to get endless shit from Max for saying that, but it's sort of true. No, I mean, that's great. Um, that sounds very well-balanced filling, and... It's your s sober September, so how are you going to be serving the beverages for your guests? Well, I think that what I sort of realized recently was that I've always hated drinking, and I just love making drinks. So it almost works out better because I'm just going to offer her any cocktail that she wants, and I can do just about anything. And I'm just going to stand in the background sipping sparkling water the whole night. Well, it sounds wonderful all around. There are new records for listens on the last three episodes of Landline. So do you feel confident that your episode will hold its usual weight and beat all the others that were previous to it? If it doesn't, then you did something wrong with your upload. Of course it should. <laughs> and who, If I was feeling threatened, who should I feel threatened by? Well, I, I mean, all the guests in the last three weeks have shown some major heft. So, I mean, you should feel threatened by everyone. It should, it should motivate you to call the landline constantly, honestly. Yeah, but that's not, that's, that's not the guest necessarily. That's Australia's syndrome. You somehow got half the continent of, you know, where hooked on your landline. I don't give your guests credit for that. Okay, well, answer me this, Saul. If the, the hits have never been higher, but the calls to the landline have never been lower, 
I feel like that's the missing piece of this equation. I was really hoping that the landline would constantly be ringing. Now, does the fact that I left the landline off the hook for four days while I was away last week have an effect on the number of callers? I would say maybe, but um, I do think that there's a little bit of a irony and some sort of missing piece to getting people to actually to dial in. Well, so how many... Why don't why don't more people want to call and talk to people like you and me? Well, do do we feel I, I must be making some points? I, I, one out of every ten points I make out on the landline is interesting enough that people listen. They at least hit play and then turn it off after a, a few minutes. So the question remains: How do yeah, I people, act? People should people should phone in either to tell you that they love you or tell you that they hate you. That's right. Exactly. And they should tell us that it's completely ridiculous that we have a whole half an hour segment on naked paddleboarding in the moon, you know, fearful of loons that may be trying to get you into some sort of compromising position. Or they should call and say, isn't it so wonderful that there's a digital media outlet that talks about the true pleasures of life that exists in our natural world? Right. But either way, the phone should be ringing out the hook. So I just don't know, 503-894-8480, what to tell people other than to call in. And if you're a listener and you haven't called in, and here's another point of view, Saul. I actually got some negative feedback from one of our longtime listeners who texted me that the last show was boring. Well, doesn't that defeat the entire purpose of the show? Shouldn't he call in and say on the landline, on the message machine, why it was boring and create some interesting content out of that conflict? So just to confirm, this was a show that did not have me on it. That's right. Okay, I like that guy, whoever he was. All right, well, my arm is getting tired from holding the mic above the landline because my other mic was malfunctioning. So I'm going to let you go. It sounds like you're going to have a delicious dinner, and I'm going to keep editing this podcast of us so that it's up for our fans before the Tuesday is over because, as always, I promise to the fans that every episode will air on Tuesdays. Okay, perfect. Um, I'm glad you called. You were a welcome break from the monotony of the other people I was talking to. And phone back anytime. Okay, enjoy your... Like you are telling everyone. Enjoy your beautiful dinner with someone's former crush. Sounds good. Bye, Alex. Bye. Welcome to Landline Podcast. I'm a professional voiceover artist that Alex could never have actually gotten unless I was his friend from 10 years ago. You're lucky because on today's episode, it's Saul versus Alex, Alex versus Saul. Two white men talking about themselves. Featuring a career elitist trying to find a purpose for his life. A Jewish male shopaholic, as if that's news. You're listening to Landline. Landline podcast on the road in Berkeley, California, in studio with the guest who feels he's the most popular, Saul. He is currently, the word is 
What's the what? What is that thing that they do in the Senate? He's filibustering the podcast. These are less than ideal podcasting conditions. You're not excited. I'm hungover. You're sober. You haven't even had your poached eggs yet. You made me a beautiful breakfast this morning. Poached eggs on toast with avocado and salsa. Very California. Which brings me to my first topic. We're in California, but you spent the better part of the summer months in New England, as you are a traveling man. What's the... In an, in the in this edition of East Coast or West Coast, 2018, and in the spirit of our podcast in the Logan Airport Overlook parking lot, it's okay, we can just edit all this crap out. Give us the East Coast, West Coast vision. You're back. How do you feel? Which is the better coast? I don't know. I'm I'm not going to be able to say better or worse. The a, a summer in New Hampshire is a good thing. It's a good place to be. Uh, and if you can do it right, which I feel like I did because that involved nudity, paddle boards, and full moons and loons, usually all at the same time, multiple evenings and mornings a day, then what really more do you want in life? At least that was my take on it. So we don't believe you. We don't believe that you actually went nude paddleboarding multiple times a day. You've got a little cabin on the lake. That you it's stay, a house. Uh, you have a house, lake house, someone call it. So t- just tell us. We want to know. We know you look good nude. We know paddleboarding is great. We know, you know you're into the hip exercises, and that's why you find yourself to be so fit. So wh- how does that work? How do you actually nude paddleboard? Very landline. Turns out it couldn't be easier. Uh, it's even easier than paddleboarding with a bathing suit because there's less wind resistance from the bathing suit when you're moving forward. So essentially the basic steps are, number one, you either take your clothes off if you're wearing them or don't take them off if you're not. I'm usually in the latter category. And then sometimes you put on your flip-flops, sometimes not, while you walk down to the lawn, seize your paddleboard, mount it, push off and then stand erect when you're about five to 10 feet offshore and begin moving forward of your own locomotion. So other than erection being such a important part of the process, it's not your own lake. So there are other homes. Did you have any indication from the neighbors that this was a problem? I mean, what, what, you know, I'd say nudity is something that most people are modest about. How did you grow the courage or or have the neighborly relations necessary to be able to publicly paddleboard nude on this public lake publicly yeah i mean ultimately i would like to drive all of my lakeside neighbors away so i can feel like it's a private pond but in the meantime you do have to deal with other people um there's a summer camp from cardigan with with kids boating um there's ladies and gentlemen kayaking. There's the occasional speedboat. So try as I might, I can't actually pretend in all honesty that it is a private lake. Essentially, I can find myself to off-peak hours, which is kind of how I do everything else in life. Mornings are great. Uh, evenings after dusk, certainly night once there's a moon, that really gives you a kind of lit path to follow. 
uh, and during any weather conditions that are less than ideal. For example, if it began raining out, I could almost guarantee that there would be no one on the lake except a fisherman or two who had bigger problems to worry about, and I could strike off nude immediately. So, in all honesty, nudity is something that is very empowering for many people. Can you give us a window into maybe where a nudist is coming from? Not to say that you are a nudist, but there's a subculture there that I don't think is uh, examined very much by our subset. So, do you, what, what, I mean, what news can you bring us from the nudity camp? Things are going strong. Um, it's a great feeling. It's a great look. And it makes you really just sort of um, appreciate clothing for what it is, which is masking uh, the human body, for better or worse. So for me, when I'm nude paddleboarding and I can look up and see a giant moon overhead and I can hear the loons shrieking across the lake and I can see the ripples spreading out from my paddle at every stroke. And then when I can jump into the water off the board Mm. and feel nothing between me and the lake that I love so much, these are all pleasant sensations. Wow, that's pretty good. All right. And did you ever have any sort of opposition from the crowd? Did anyone, was there ever a situation where you said, maybe this isn't the best idea, just for this current moment where this person's yelling at me to put clothes on or et cetera? I think the whole summer, my only moment of trepidation came from one of the last nights, interestingly. And this was a, not quite full moon, but pretty close, and it was beautiful. Um, I brought a vape pen bag with me from California, so I... Legal. Yes. So I had that um, sort of stimulus in the mind, and I set out rather late. This was about 12 at night, late for me anyway, I guess. And I heard two loons um, shrieking from just beyond me with these beautiful sounds, and so I shrieked back to them, and they responded in kind, and we started striking up this kind of conversational um, cooing and shrieking to each other. And so I became very enamored, and I began paddling eagerly out towards the loons, wanting to see them and, you know, meet these new friends of mine who I had been hanging out with all lake, all, the, all summer. And I kept going, and the, the loons were always just beyond me on the horizon in the darkness. And the house grew smaller in the distance, and the lake was all around me, and suddenly... I got this uneasy flash of what if these loons were actually just sort of playing sirens, luring me somewhere, like out onto the water for mm. their own purposes. Mm. So, so that gave me a, a little um, fear, and I sort of looked around nervously uh, to see whether these loons did indeed have my best interests in heart. And finally, I set off back to shore. So I think that's the only time I ever felt a murmur of apprehension. And had someone stopped by the house... A family member, a close friend who was treating the lake house in the old fashioned way of let's just swing by and see what's going on there. Would you have basically just owned your nudity? That's where you're that's where you have to be at. Right. I mean, if you're stuck on the water without clothes, you have to paddle back. There's a little bit of a visual component there of you getting closer and closer before you can find any loincloth, so to speak. So. Well, loincloth raises an interesting comparison. The the Sioux Plains Indians in the late 1800s had a trick where during a, um, a bow and arrow battle, they'd sort of um, seize their ponies' necks and fall down to one side and cunningly shoot off the side of it so that they weren't sitting up, meaning an easy target. So when I'm out on the water, what I could do in a pinch if it was the wrong house guest stopping by 
was um, roll off the board and kind of grip onto its neck, so to speak, and be largely submerged in the water and just kind of watch and wait until uh, the curtain raised and it was able to go back on stage. That's true. Good risk-reward analysis there, too. I mean, every moment of naked paddleboarding must be so freeing and positive as a counterpoint to the small possibility of a downturn of events that could create embarrassment. So I see where you're going there. And let's face it, I mean, a little, you know, no one wants to play it too safe. A little excitement never hurt anyone. I think that certainly taps into the nudity um, subculture right there. Excitement. Landline. Hi, Al. Hey, Tim. All right, how's Harvest going? It's going. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm just sitting down to dinner. All right. Can, give me 30 seconds. I need a 30-second 30 se- 30 30 bit. 30-second bit. The it's a philosophical question that can always be answered quickly. How come the listens on landline podcasts have never been higher, but the calls to the landline to participate have never been lower? Go. Um, it's a good question. I think it's just because. Is it bots? Don't re- we just don't remember the landline number. Five zero three eight nine four eighty four eighty. Yep. All right. I mean, all right. Have a nice dinner. Bye bye. Bye. Landline. Can we switch gears to? Yeah, let's switch gears because we're doing sh- circle for a moment. Yeah, let's do that. And also, the short segments of landline are the new feature that I'm trying to get to. Five zero three eight nine four eighty four eighty. So, although you don't listen to the podcast, all the legions of listeners, including the Australians, thanks so much for your support. Um, are are going to be well served by a small pod segment on nude paddleboarding, followed by a voicemail, followed by this next segment on the Arctic Circle. Well, I was just I was saying I spent some time up there, in northern Finland, um, and it's a region of lakes and chilliness and beauty. If you've ever seen one, and the Finns obviously have their two passions in life, not counting Nokia which is number one, saunas, and number two, diving into frozen lakes and rolling around in snowbanks. And nudity there, obviously, is not just the um, outlier, but it's the norm. And you sit side by side, row by row, in your sauna, and then you take turns running out naked and either submerging yourself in icy waters or doing the aforementioned roll in the snow and then going right back in. And the point is that's just part of adult behavior. That's sort of like um, being in the States and, you know, filling your tank at the gas station and then buying a quart of orange juice and some eggs. It's just normal things that you do if you're an adult. And I sort of ask you, Alex, why don't we do more of that? And what's the stigma? Well, there, what, there is a stigma. I don't know. You know, what it is is can we connect it to the Puritan ethic that the founders had or ethic, I guess, is a choice term there, the Puritan values that were are so intertwined with our cultural existence now, even, you know, several hundred years later. Um, I would say religion has something to do with that, although the Northern Europeans are quite religious themselves, but I guess there must be a little bit more worship of the 
uh, outdoor world or maybe a layering of worship of natural environment with worship of faith, you know, God type entities, um, which leads me to another reason. Is it just that we've lost such touch with our own mortality and the excitement that comes with being a small free being on a completely uncontrollable planet that has all of this natural beauty. There's something about finding yourself in a fjord environment where it's beautiful and the water is enticing for some reason, even though it's freezing cold, there's gotta be a very deep down, um, reason why you decide to dive into water that is ultimately threatening to your very livelihood and talk about risk and reward there. So how have we lost that? I don't know. Is that an American thing? Um, I would say yes. Um, I was thinking of Iceland, which I visited briefly about 15 years ago, where they also have a swimming in the cold culture. They have all those volcanically uh, heated thermal baths that they sort of turn into community pools and so I think a little bit of a cliche to say it like this, but businessmen, quote unquote, before going to work, will go jump in the geothermal heated swimming pool and take a swim and then all shower together naked in the community shower and then put their suits on and move to their work environments, um, you know, paving roads or fishing or being reenacting Viking conquests or whatever it is that they do. But the point is, again, there is some sort of nudity issue with with Americans, and there is a uh, natural fear of of embarrassment around acting crazy with the environment. I don't know. We turn we turn it into the polar bear swim is the answer. We turn it into an event where we can sell hot dogs. We don't um, turn it into everyone on the lake. What if all of your neighbors woke up and simultaneously dove in naked to the lake as sort of a community experience, but far enough away that it wasn't about seeing one another, but rather just about sharing that? I, you know, that was rambling, but I think there's some nuggets there. Absolutely. So anyway, um, we've covered nudity for this morning. Oh, you're done with that now? I drove it into the, <laughs> I drove it into the, I drove it into a pile. You don't. I mean, why do you think? How could, do we do we see a path where as the baby boomers age themselves out of cultural uh, as as the less moon of the world move into, you know, um, grayer pastures? Do we see this uh, sort of weird dichotomy of covering oneself up figuratively and literally and living, you know, in the confines of the constructed world? going away and the farm to table millennial dinner obsession actually fans out to bonfires, which fan out to archery community archery practice, which fan out to nude skiing and skinny skiing. Well, here's a question as a, as a father, you know more about this than me. What is the age? I'm assuming it hasn't happened yet, but I could be wrong. What is the age when your son will suddenly look at his naked body and feel shame for the first time and think I can't just be running around down the sidewalk naked naked. I have to put clothes on and otherwise people will laugh at me or I'll feel embarrassed. Very that's good. That's a terrible moment. Absolutely. And you don't, you as a parent, you really, especially at least with my mindset, I don't want to be the one that's responsible for that. I mean, down the road, if he associates 
me shaming him with nudity, that's going to cause a whole host of problems, right? So I think you probably have a little bit of that inside of you someplace, but I don't know the answer to that. When is that? And, you know, how about like changing diapers in public places? That's, I guess, getting to a different place. But I don't know. When, when, do, when does one communicate that issue to their kid and how do you do it? And it's, there's kind of all of these issues around that. And talk about a loss of innocence. I mean, you know, straight out of the Bible. No, you can't go outside without clothes on. That is kind of a crazy turning event. I don't know. I don't know. I bad answer, but I I don't know what. How do you navigate that world, and and all of the social pressures that come with it around how other people, other friends of yours, have managed it, and how they make make may make you feel uncomfortable with your decision. There, it's a weird one. Look, I went to Harbin Hot Springs in California before it sadly burned down. And, you know, it was an environment where you had five-year-olds running around naked and you had 85-year-olds running around naked. And no one was looking like they stepped greased and muscular out of 80s pornography. And that was kind of the point of it. That was totally fine. And there were attractive people and unattractive people and in-shape people and not in-shape people. And everyone was just kind of roaming around and swimming around and bathing around and doing that happily in the noon. Now, do you think that our current cultural problems with obesity and health care and lack of exercise, et cetera, diet would be somewhat helped if we were for, if we were how many overweight northern Finnish sw- winter swimmers are there? Zero. Right. And there's got to be something about, well, first you're swimming in the winter, meaning that you're exercising and you're probably eating right because you're not, you know, just like jamming home McDonald's in northern Finland in the winter or summer or whatever it is. But isn't there some sort of subconscious association with, well, when I take my clothes off, I want my body to be not only attractive, but safe in the larger environment from you know being able to swim out of the water without dying or you know cutting oneself or breaking a leg by walking or whatever x y and z could happen if you don't take care of your your temple so to speak absolutely i think there has to be a greater appreciation which is obviously reflected in the types of activities and physical exertion that you can be seeking out landline k residents Hey, I'm calling to find out the saturated fat situation for lunch. Ooh, kind of low. Um, cheese? Is there chicken still available or is Ooh. that gone? Um, not much chicken left. All right, and how much bacon is in, is in inventory? Zero. Okay, and the carbs? No carbs. Okay. Oh, I guess I'll be maybe getting something to go then. Okay. Are you guys all fed? Um, I hadn't thought about it. Homer hasn't woken up yet, so. Wow. Yeah, I've just been reading. Okay. Sounds very landline. Bye. Bye. Maersk. All right, well, you used to do a segment called This Week in News. Do you remember that? Vaguely. <laughs> and I just, you're an expert um, in a few, um, a few 
Saul's an expert in a few areas that I'm not, and one of them is online dating. Saul is now no longer online dating, but he used to be, and he would comment on that for the podcast, which I think was a great point of view for our listeners as technology is now kind of found itself in every aspect of our life, including our interpersonal romantic relationship. But best paper in the country, of course, the New York Post recent headline from this week, How Tech Bros Ruined Dating for Young People. Interesting. And basically it talks about how a lot of, you know, eighth grade to high school age people have huge issues around their self-confidence, self-image, because everything around their dating life is pictures, Instagram, Twitter, and sharing one another Snapchat. But then also that all migrates to Tinder or whatever the dating app they use is. Um, and all of the associated problems that can come, depression, et cetera. But I'm not going to ask you to be an anthropologist on that. I just want you to kind of tell us where you are, given that you no longer are in a position where you're looking for a mate online, as was previously. How does it feel to be out of that world? It's almost as if you were applying for jobs and finally got one. Take us back to that time we were applying with a little bit of retrospect. And, and I mean, what kind of relief do you have, I assume, from not having to be in that world anymore? And for anyone who is online dating out there, do you have any points of view for them of advice? I mean, in some ways, I feel like it's comparable to being in your 20s, meaning that you can look back at it with a mix of happy and less happy emotion and you can say this was not a terrible time in my life, but you can also sigh with relief and say, I'm glad that I'm not currently at that exact point, and I'm glad that I'm past that. All right. I guess we're not going to do anything more on that segment. Well, no, we can. That's my thesis statement, so to speak. Well, so do you think, you know, what is society's job now to avoid the tinder trap if you had an eighth you asked me what's it like to have a kid who's naked and soon will be told that they can't be naked anymore if you had an eighth grade daughter who somehow miraculously you'd kept her cell phone use to a minimum i'm saying she obviously probably uses it i don't want to paint a picture that's insanely out of touch and she's starting to not like herself based on the natural progression of her hormonal situation plus the negative connotations of being online and sharing oneself romantically online. And you finally are a father who had experienced your own online dating. You're the first generation of parents who know what online dating is like. And you're not a parent and you don't have a daughter who's in eighth grade. But that's something I think our generation is going to have to figure out. I mean, me just smashing my kid's cell phone out of their hands and saying, get the fuck off that piece of shit. You're not allowed to date on it. Is not going to leave anybody with a happy childhood. So what are we to do here, Saul? What's your advice? Well, I think part of the danger is that certain people, you'll go, you'll go on an online dating site and you'll see someone, whether that's a woman if you're a man or a man if you're a woman or, you know, a man if you're a man or a woman, woman, who knows? Keep, keep doing the combos. We like it. What else could happen? Yeah. Anything. Anything. Um, anything. But you'll you'll go on and you'll the danger is you'll see some angelic face looking back at you, smiling back at you, in fact. And it's this dangerous 
mental trap where it makes you feel that something's attainable that really isn't. And really like the closest you're ever going to get to this perfect person is staring at this picture before it goes away. It's kind of like when you walk into a casino, when you look up at the Wheel of Fortune numbers and they're blinking $6 million jackpot, just put in a coin, you're not actually going to win that money. You're never going to be the person, and I'm talking to all of you listening statistically, you're never going to be the person who walks in and puts in your like dollar token and wins $6 million bucks off Wheel of Fortune. But the danger is thinking that maybe you might be that person, and instead you just put in... 50 regular dollars and the jackpot goes that much higher for the next person. So that to me is kind of online dating in a nutshell. The danger of it is that it gives you a false sense of attainability and sort of lifts you a little too far off the ground. But it's important to be anchored and remember that life is not about seeking the impossible. It's about finding what works and getting it and keeping things attainable in your own little patch of turf. Man, imagine chasing women as a you know teenager plus, and how much more that was about attaining the impossible versus making yourself happy through compromise. Talk about a, children versus adults, and and the point of view on that. But how heightened that must be by you know the digitization of all this stuff. It's a fascinating thing. It's like as a teenager, you've number one. You, if, if you want to be 12 years old and look at the most dreadful pornography in the world, you can do that. You don't have to go like shoulder tap an 18-year-old to buy you a copy of Playboy. And number two, you can swipe away on every online dating app you can find, and suddenly it propels you. It injects you into this fantasy where you're just floating around, um, without any anchor towards what is real, what can happen or what is in the cards for you. And remember how like much sort of sitting around with the other cavemen in high school, like so-and-so is hot. And then she, in our case as you know, self-identified straight man at that point, um, she, whoever she was became like the article of acquisition where someone would kind of take a take a stab at it and then fail or succeed and if you succeeded it was a badge of accomplishment in the social order and if you failed you know someone else would take a swipe at it and no pun intended tinder and and you know succeed and then you would feel that you were further down the totem pole maybe i'm just speaking for myself imagine that in the sort of commercial packaging of digital dating like in your phone it, it becomes even more an article on the shelf to try and like maybe I can find the wittiest text message to get her to answer back, to get her to like send me like a cleavage shot on Snapchat, to get her to sex me, and then like to get some awkward interaction in person. Anyways, it's got to be crazy. All the things that were so detrimental to my understanding of what a positive relationship between two people was is just heightened 100%, 100 times, 100 million times, whatever it is. Absolutely. And I think in conclusion that online dating is something that very few people look back on and miss. I'm not sorry I did it. I had good times and bad times, but I don't look back on it and say, wow, I really miss those days or boy, I wish I could fire up the apps and spend a couple hours doing more of that. So slightly changing topics, but staying on the same theme, if you had like 
a station wagon full of, you know, luxury SUV, uh, full of teenagers that you were driving to, I don't know, whatever, a dance or a weekend away or whatever it is. If you were, if, if you were trying to get a bunch of cell phone using 16 year olds who were smart and fun and cute and all of that to understand an alternative to the way that they're going down their path with dating. If you're going to be like old man Saul, old man millennial, but you knew that they're just going to treat you like an old man, so you have to really package your advice to them. How do you do it? What are you going to say? Like, let's start a bonfire tonight. You know, are you going to start, should parents start, setting bonfires for their kids and getting them a 12 pack of Keystone light. I mean, that's gotta be better for them than whatever the hell they're doing on their Wi-Fi in the basement on Friday nights. No question. It is in my opinion. Uh, and obviously neither one of us is advocating purchasing alcohol for minors, but if someone was purchasing alcohol for minors, I think in that bonfire context, um, that it would be a far healthier than thing than saying all of you go to your basements and swipe on your phones trying to chat with someone who lives in northern Montana and put up pictures from like a model in France so that you think that you're talking to like the hottest woman you've ever seen. Not that you're talking from personal experience. So, all right, well, let's list some other ones. Bonfires. Like let's list the 19, the 1999 version of what 14, 15 year olds did. Ping pong, pool table. I mean, you know, those, I guess, are expensive. Like, these things don't happen anymore, or do they? Because we got to have to have to have a teenager on. What others? We need a teenager. Driving around. Um, It's got to be fascinating. It's got it. But, you know, that whole interaction of how could you convince high schoolers that there is a more fun world that doesn't involve technology? I mean, you really talk about a a huge mountain to climb. Talk about a, a rock to push uphill. If you were given one chance to get a basement full of teenagers to put their phones away for the entire night and you were given 10 minutes to make the sales pitch, what would you say? I don't think I'd say anything. I I think I'd kind of do what you're suggesting and march them all outside and go climb, you know, a short mountain or a steep hill. Let's say 500,000 degree, 500,000 feet of elevation and bring up a 12 pack and light a campfire and sit around laughing about things that happened in real life. And maybe it could be seltzer. Maybe it has nothing to do with the beer. There we go. Seltzer. Why didn't someone think of that earlier? Landline. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling North Portland Harbor Freight Bizcast. How can I help you? Hey, do you guys have kids' ear protection? Nothing specifically designed for children, but we do have ones that kind of like squinch down a little bit, I guess. Okay. Are they are they like over? They're like headphone style, or are they? Yeah. Okay. Um, and you would have something that's pretty small, you think? Um. Yeah. I had actually. I had a couple buy them for. I got. She was under a year. Okay, perfect. Okay, cool. And do you have any idea how much those are? Um, I'm going to give you a really ballpark, three ninety nine to six ninety nine. Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Landline. So we're sitting together, and we had a nice evening catching up and eating good food and hanging out. 
And now you're in my living room, which is great. But it's also been 11 months, I believe, since the last time that we sat together in my living room or, for that matter, in any other living room. So what I wonder is, you're one of my best friends, and do we want to live in a world where we see each other for one day every year? And to me, a lot of landline is sort of, how do we get past that world? Wow. Yeah, we should have started here, but this is good. Okay, so I've been having a comp- – that's actually what I'm most mad about recently. So I have this text chain with a bunch of people we grew up with, and you're not included on it because it's about sports gambling, and we all have, like, sports pools together, and you don't care about that. Long story short, recently I unsubscribed myself from that text chain and sort of had a classic Alex McKay outburst with all of our friends where I just – took my ball and went in the corner and said I didn't want to play anymore for very stupid reasons. And as per usual, it was just me being dramatic to get attention. But the core of that whole incident was actually about my own shattered emotions from exactly what you're talking about. My best friends in the world live on my cell phone. There are people I grew up with. There are people I know well. There are people I stayed close with all the way through my 20s. There are people that I continue to have the best time with when I get together. So it's not one of those why are we friends things, why are we forcing this. The laughs are the hardest and deepest. The stories are the funniest. And I actually like the raw emotional sharing of this isn't going so well for me and this happened. That's the group that we all want at our parents' funerals to support us. So they are my true friends. However, it's completely stunted my ability to make friends where I live in Portland because I have that to fall back on. This ties right into what you asked me about what I was upset about. Talk about me becoming one of the sheep. My friends live on my phone. So I don't know what it is we're to do. You have done a great job recently with professional accomplishment where you have chosen to cut yourself off from certain elements of your previous friend group in order to forge your own path and you're not going to move where I tell you to move so that you and I can see each other for breakfast and coffee every morning as we would if we both lived in the in the mill town together. So what are you willing to do? Because my point is maybe we should be talking about those things. In other words, again, do we want to live in a world where you see your best friends once or twice a year and you're all a year older? And if you have kids, they're a year older. And if you're getting fat, then you've gotten fatter. And if you're not, then people who have are jealous of you. And you laugh and you talk and then you go live life for another year. I'm not saying no, that. No, we don't want to live not, in that I'm world. I'm not saying we need a, a commune where, you know, I, I come down and knock on your door to borrow sugar every morning. That sounds nice. Yeah, and I would. But isn't, isn't there some kind of middle ground or shouldn't there be? Yeah, I mean, no, we don't want to live in that world is the answer to your question. We don't want to live in that world, but we're living in it. Why are we, we are. living in the world that we don't want to live in? We don't want to live in a world where we are, our friendships are defined by going through TSA security. And, and, you know, I know you care about this, but I'm more like on this high horse, firing out a bunch of CO2 in the atmosphere every time we, time we fly, blowing our entire year's quota of CO2 with one airplane flight. We don't want to live in that world. That doesn't feel good. That doesn't feel good to work up to getting to see family or very close friends at holidays, putting all our emotion into that 
three day weekend or you know five day stay completely blowing ourselves out emotionally and then like leaving and having all of the you know the the basically emotions of not getting that again in the aftermath it sucks we don't but what are we going to do we can we have to sacrifice the quest that we have as these to me it all connects to our children our parents were children of world war ii people there they took from their parents that we live in a free america of prosperity and our job is to give our kids education and the freedom to pursue all of their goals because this is the land of milk and honey so parents in our community were saying you know be a filmmaker be a writer be a whatever you want to be explore that travel like be a dishwasher with a great education if you have to to discover what it is that you want given way too much opportunity to discover ourselves and by doing that we've gone buckshot all around the world and now we are basically in a world where we were given all the freedom to make our decisions, but our decision was to pursue greatness at all costs, pursue our careers. And we're not actually, we're discovering now that that accomplishment doesn't give us the satisfaction of the commu a long-term community environment. Like who is your community? Well, that's sort of my point that I think when people choose to live somewhere, Number one calculus is always professional reasons. You know, what gives you the best way forward professionally? And number two is probably a combination of what you and if you have a spouse, what the two of you sort of want. And obviously there's other factors like cost of living and, you know, proximity to family and all these different things that factor into me choosing to live in Denver or Whitefish or Hanover or California or anywhere else. But I'm sort of wondering if, if friendship matters, and it does, as we're sort of agreeing, why isn't that a factor? And why is some stupid little factor about like where you can get the cheapest groceries more important than where can I have access to my closest friends in the world who make me happy? Well, I think there's a risk there, at least in my mind, that if you go to where the grass is greener regarding your friendship network that it could turn out to be something you obtain and then like less than you hope it would. And you've then regressed back to something that wasn't as exciting as your exploration for old friends who turned out to annoy you or something like that. But I think that speaks to our, what we have to do is we have to become friends as adults again and choose that that friendship is worth it as adults which i think of course ours is and you and i have a different friendship than we did when we were kids but we do love that background and we find our, each other continually entertaining and creative and all and interesting and yeah i don't i mean i don't know i don't know but does that speak to your like it's a risk let's I see. mean i want you i want you to get a letter from me one day saying I'm going to be living in Portland for the next four to six weeks. And whether that's in your spare bedroom or a fancy hotel suite, probably the second one or an apartment that I'm renting or something. And sure, I'm doing that because Portland's nice and I can get work done and all of that. But I'm also doing it because you're a great friend and I want to have dinner with you three nights a week for the next month and not see you once 24 hours out of every year. Then, then what we have to do, and this might go back to Anna, the significant bother, will comment on this pod as she does all of them at the end of the show. 
something as she mentioned to me last week was maybe I needed to meditate. I think that that maybe we all need to practice mindfulness in those moments because my analysis of myself is that if you were to come over for dinner three times in a week, my sort of millennial tech brain of the sheep that I'm trying not to be would say like, oh my God, Saul's going to be here three nights a week and like this is crazy and it's going to be upsetting to our schedule. And, we'll, and and the reality is if we could just be in the moment, we'd realize that Saul coming over three nights a week could be Saul reading by the fire until the soup is ready and eating a bowl of soup with the rest of us and then getting told that he can leave whenever he wants but that we're going up to bed or that we're going to watch a movie and he can join us. It doesn't have to be like full-on frat party friendship of like I love you bro it's like sharing space with each other is what sort of a long-term friendship becomes and being okay with each other's picadillos versus like this is my best friend Nancy and me and her go to brunch on Sundays and it's the best time and we Instagram and we can't wait to see each other God and I can't wait to hear more about her boyfriend and all this stuff it's like no like we all have problems we all have we all have challenges and uh we all have problems, we all have challenges, and we all could be better at just being in the space with one another. I think that speaks to, and I'll, we got to go here, but relationships with family too. Relationships with family are ripe with trauma and strife and challenges, but just realizing that like we should share this space together now while we're still both here sharing a life is pro- should probably supersede in the way that people had to do that in old, old-fashioned old families because nobody had the money to do anything but live together. I want to close just with a question. We, we sacrifice in our lives for all kinds of things, many of them worthy, for jobs, for maybe a relationship, for we negotiate. We're always giving up in order to get other things, and that's normal and it's part of human nature. But if friendship matters to you, isn't it fair to ask the question, what do you sacrifice for friendship and what do you give up to try to ensure that you get to spend time with people who matter to you a lot? Call into the landline and answer that question. 503-894-8480. Saul, as always, spectacular. Listen to our other shows wherever you listen to the pod. Make sure you call the landline and talk to us. We've got the Russian phone tap. And with that, I say adieu. Goodbye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Normally, we would have a scammer call, but for some reason, the scammers didn't call this week. Is that because I left the phone unplugged for four days? Maybe. Is that because they're on to the fact that I know they're scammers? Much more interesting conversation. Hey, scammers, if you're out there listening to Landline, make sure you keep calling. We are the bulk of your business moving forward, old people on landlines and hipsters who decide to get a landline for a digital podcast. Also, normally we'd have our significant bother section here. Our bother is off this week. Couldn't squeeze it in. That does not mean that we won't be significantly bothered down the road. So no fear there, as we know that that's such a great segment. Um, Sorry I'm late this week. Just the way of the world. And I will be taking next week off. Maybe we do four on, one off, four on, one off. I don't know. I told you I was following the school schedule this week. And sometimes you just don't want to go to school. So... On the road next week, no landline, have no fear. They're coming the rest of the fall, winter, and into the future. Thanks for listening, 503-894-8480. One last segment after the outro with Saul and I chatting 
about what makes me most angry right now. It's actually a very cell phone topic, so if you're obsessed with Saul and I, keep listening. Thanks so much. Landline. Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. You're listening to Landline. So, all right. Um, in our last 10 minutes, what should we talk about? Well, I guess here, if we did This Week in News, here's a, a different segment that we used to do unofficially, which is what makes you angry these days? What don't you like in the world? I do have an appointment I have to get to tomorrow afternoon, so I'm not sure we have time. That is a long segment. Well, there's lots of things that could be gone over. I think what I dislike the most in the world right now is my own behavior around technology vis-a-vis my public statements that it's the devil. And I, and I, you know, I think people probably presuppose that I'm good about using my phone. And I know that the world is not the problem there, 
but it feels that the powers that be are so powerful that I am just another one of the sheep that is feeding into a system that is not just a conduit for this podcast and a topic I try to get back to, but an overwhelming sense of dread that I have. Um, you know, it's a, as innocuous as c- taking the BART across the San Francisco Bay yesterday and having everybody on the subway looking at a phone, listening to something, swiping, texting, and then realizing that I was actually doing it too and looking out into the world and there was a beautiful September sunset in San Francisco Bay. You think about the property values here and the allure of this city and its history as a you know international capital. And there are people who spend their whole lives trying to just have a sunset in San Francisco because of what they've read or heard or they're a Mark Twain aficionado, whatever it is. And these people are looking at something that is seemingly more important than that. And so am I. And I can't stop myself from checking my phone every few minutes. So I'm angry not only about everyone's behavior, but I am really struggling with my own inability to cut a path through. Like we've identified that everybody acts in a certain way around technology ad nauseum. But I'm one of them. And so I guess my anger in the world is around my own inability to carve a path through that muck. And I don't know if it's just inaction on my own part and I'm just lazy and I talk and don't make changes happen. But I think it's fair to say that the sort of action I'm looking for is increasingly difficult in the system that I've been born into. And maybe, as Anna mentioned in a previous podcast with her Rousseau quote, maybe that's actually just the burden of every man who has the psychosis I do in the age that they live. Very good. Last five minutes. Sure. Sure. 